We uh, have been involved in a December series here at Mount Pleasant called Vintage Christmas. And uh, we uh, have talked about Christmas from a variety of different uh, perspectives so far. But tonight, for just a few minutes, we're just going to talk about Jesus. You know, Jesus is someone that almost everyone has heard of, at least here where we live. Uh, but not everyone really understands the story of Jesus. Not really, not the entire story. And that's even true of some of the most familiar parts of the story, which would be like the birth of Jesus. That's a story we've heard over and over for years and years and years, many of us, and yet some of us still get that a little bit wrong, and it can be a little comical sometime. Let's just spend a few minutes talking about the bigger story of Jesus. And I've got my Bible open to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read a very brief passage of Scripture, just Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read that because there are three things that we're told about Jesus in that passage that if we understand, if we get those three things, we're going to be able to understand a whole lot more about the bigger story of Jesus. So, as I said, I've got my Bible open to Hebrews 1. We have a, a, something that we do here at Mount Pleasant. Every week we make the reading of Scripture a significant part of our service, and because we as a church love and respect God's Word, we stand when we do it. And so if you're able this evening, stand with me. It won't be for very long, and listen as I read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God blesses the reading and the hearing of His Word. There are three things that those verses tell us about Jesus that we need to understand. And the first one is this. Those verses tell us that Jesus is the voice of God. Jesus is the voice of God. That's how it began. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He said He has spoken to us by His Son. You know, the Bible is a confusing book to a lot of people for a variety of different reasons, and one of them is that there are things in the Bible in particular in the Old Testament that God said then that He doesn't say now. And because of that, when we read the Old Testament in particular, we have to read it with a little bit of a filter. I mean, it contains all kinds of writing. It contains history, and it contains poetry, and it contains prophecy and wisdom literature. But the Old Testament also includes what's called the Old Testament law, which was very specific to God's people, the Israelites, the Jews. He gave them a law that He wanted them to follow because He knew if they followed that law, it would make them distinct and different from the rest of the world. But it's kind of confusing because it's broken down into three different divisions. There's the moral law and the civil law and the ceremonial law. And while most of the moral law made its way into the New Testament and so we follow it today, the rest of it's pretty confusing. And so, you have to read the Bible, in particular the Old Testament at times, with a filter. But that's not true when it comes to the words of Jesus. No filter is necessary. And when you read the words of Jesus in the Bible, and this is found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books in the New Testament, you can know that what Jesus is saying comes directly from God. 
Jesus is speaking as God. In fact, look at this verse on the screen from John chapter 12 and verse 50. Jesus says, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And you know what that means, friends? Pure and simple, that just simply means, and this is what we have to understand about Jesus, Jesus is the voice of God. And so if you want to know what God has to say about life and living, then all you have to do is read the words of Jesus. People will say to me sometimes, because I've been a pastor for a long time, and I, I really deeply believe in, in every part of the Scriptures. I believe it's all inspired from God, and that every part of it's true. And uh, uh, so I talk to people about the importance of the Bible, and people will say to me sometimes, you know what, I've tried reading the Bible, but I just don't get anything out of it. And maybe you've found yourself there at different times. Well, Here's a challenge that I'm going to give to you on this Christmas Eve, and I'm going to ask you to take it into the new year, 2020. I'm going to give you the challenge. You can call it a resolution if you want, to just make it your goal in 2020 to read the Gospels, just the Gospels. Just make it your goal to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four, first four books of the New Testament. There are 89 chapters altogether in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So just go home tonight or sometime while you're off uh, between now and the beginning of the new year. Do the math. I mean, just do the math. There are 89 chapters in the Gospels. There's 365 days in a year. Actually, there's 366 next year because it's a leap year, 52 weeks in the year. Just do the math and figure out how many chapters, how many verses you would need to read every day to make sure that you read all the way through the Gospels in 2020. And if you do that, if you do that, you start on January 1st and you do that, then I'm going to tell you that two things will happen. Number one, you're going to learn a lot about Jesus, probably more than you've ever known before. And number two, you're going to hear the voice of God speaking into your life because Jesus is the voice of God. Now, the second thing the Hebrew writer tells us about Jesus, number one, he's the voice of God. Number two, he tells us in that brief passage that Jesus is the image of God. So you go back to Hebrews chapter one and verse three, one of the verses we read says this. This is how the verse begins. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The sun, Jesus, the word sun there is capitalized. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, here's what Christians believe about Jesus. Christians believe that when Jesus was in the world, he was 100% man, but at the same time, he was 100% God. It's what we call the incarnation, God becoming a man, the miracle that happened on that first Christmas. He was 100% man, but at the same time, he was 100% God. And because of that, he is the image of God. So any questions we have about God can be answered in the person or in the life of Jesus. And that really stands out to me in that first part of verse 3 in a couple of ways. First of all, the Hebrew writer says about Jesus that he is the radiance of God's glory, the radiance of God's glory. Now, you may or may not know that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and what we have in our English Bibles is a translation from the Greek to the English. And sometimes to really better understand the Scriptures, it's helpful to go back and look at the way it was written originally in the original language because there's, in, linguistically speaking, the words don't always translate completely, 100%. And so that word translated radiance in my English Bible is the Greek word apagosma. And the Greek word apagosma means a shining light. 
So when it says the sun is the radiance or the apogosma of God's glory, it's saying that the sun, Jesus, is a shining light of God's glory. In other words, he shines a light on God. He lights up the reality of who God is because Jesus is the image of God. Then he goes on to say that he is the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of his being. Two words in the English, exact representation, if you look at the original language, are a single word in the Greek, and it's the single word character. And what the word character means, or rather what it describes, is when you take some kind of a specific stamp and you make an imprint in hot wax, which was something that was very common in first century days. You would seal an official document with an official stamp in wax. You would seal a letter with your family stamp in wax. And so when the Hebrew writer says that Jesus is the exact representation of God, that he is the character of God, he's saying that Jesus is the perfect personal imprint of God in time and space. And so this is the reality of who Jesus is. He is the very image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. That's something Jesus understood. There was a time in the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter when one of the disciples named Philip said this to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. He said that to Jesus. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And here's how Jesus replied in the very next verse. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? That's why Paul later in the book of Colossians wrote in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. In Colossians 2.9 he said, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, or in other words, Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the voice of God, but he is also the image of God. And so another challenge I would give you, and by the way, that, that makes reading the Gospels even more important for us because when we see Jesus, we see God. But let me give you a, another challenge to go on along with reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in 2020. Since Jesus is God, since he's the perfect personal imprint of God in time and space, then make a commitment in 2020 to talk to him every day. Talk to Jesus every day. You know, people are funny sometimes about prayer. Christians are funny sometimes about prayer because we can believe all kinds of things about prayer that are more man traditions, man-made traditions than things that come from the scriptures, depending on what our church background was, especially if we came from a very formal background. But you know, well, prayer is nothing more than a conversation, right? Everyone say right. And you can have a conversation with Jesus. And when you have a conversation with Jesus, you're talking to God because he is the image of God. The third thing that the Hebrew writer tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is the finished work of God. He's the voice of God, he's the image of God, and he is the finished work of God. Uh, verse three goes on to say, after it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, it goes on to say, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then he says this, after he, Jesus, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that, friends, is why Jesus came into the world over 2,000 years ago. 
He came into the world to, to, to show us how to live, to teach us how to live, but primarily Jesus came into the world so that he could die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And that's how he provided purification for our sin. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine was all that was necessary. It was when he did that, then, then the work that needed to be done for us to have the forgiveness of sin was done. That's why it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Priests in the Old Testament never sat down while they were on duty because they were offering sacrifice after sacrifice, but no matter how many sacrifices they offered, the work was never done. Sin was never completely covered. But when Jesus returned to heaven after he rose from the dead, he sat down because it was done. That's why I said he is the finished work of God. See, the Bible says that there's really only one thing that all of us have in common. And that is that none of us are perfect. And all of us have made mistakes in our lives. All of us have failed in different ways in our lives. The Bible says all of us have sinned. And so that's why we need someone to take care of our sin because we can't do anything about it on our own. And that's why Jesus came. Listen to how Paul describes it. You can see it on the screen in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's what Jesus did. Almost 40 years ago, my very first church, my very first full-time ministry, a man in that church gave me a little book called Ragman and Other Cries of Faith. It was basically a book of stories and meditations, and one stood out above the rest. It was just simply called The Story of the Ragman. And I'm going to share that story with you as I finish tonight because it gives us a very real and a very painful description of what Jesus had to do to provide purification for our sins and be the finished work of God. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled on a story, most strange, like nothing my life, my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Hush now and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking through the alleys of our city. He was pulling a cart, an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear tenor voice, rags. The air was foul and filthy in the first light. It was odd that it be crossed by such sweet music, rags, new rags for old. I take the, your tired rags. Now, this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six foot four inches tall, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than to be a ragman in the inner city? And so I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into her handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her, nears, her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart, and quietly he walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans and dead toys and diapers. Give me your rag, he said, so gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up, and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and so new that it shined, and she blinked from the gift to the giver. And then as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put the stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to weep and sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking, yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from a mystery. Rags, new rags for old. 
In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops and I could see the shredded curtains behind the black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty, blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. And the child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The bonnet, he said, on hers, and I gasped at what I saw, for with the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood, his own. And then he went on. Rags. I take old rags cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work, he asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. No. Are you crazy, sneered the man. Do you have a job? A job, the ragman pressed him. The man just sneered. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket, flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket and I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice. And the one-armed man took off his jacket, and so did the ragman. And I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve. And when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, but the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man hunched and sick. He took the blanket and wrapped it around himself, but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, and sick, yet he went with terrible speed through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. And I wept to see the change in this man. I heard to see the sorrow, and yet I needed to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. Now the little old ragman came to a landfill. He came to a garbage pit. And then I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back hiding. He climbed a hill, and with tormented labor... He cleared a little space on that hill. Then he sighed, and he lay down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an old army blanket, and he died. And oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him, but, I died, but he died, and I sobbed myself to sleep. I didn't know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then, on Sunday morning, I was awakened by violence, light, pure, hard, demanding, light slammed against my face, and I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the last and the first wonder of all. There was the ragman folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that, healthy. And there was no sorrow, and there was no age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. And I lowered my head and 
trembling for all that I had seen, I walked up to the ragman and I told him my name was shame for I was a sorry figure next to him. And then I took off my clothes in that place and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, dress me. And he dressed me, my Lord, he put new rags on me and I am a wonder beside him, the ragman. The ragman. The Christ. See, here's what we need to understand about Jesus. He is the voice of God, he is the image of God, and he is the finished work of God. Because when he went to the cross, he took your sin and he took mine, and he paid the penalty for it. And in return, when we trust him, he gives us a brand new life. And that's what we celebrate That's what we celebrate, and that's why every year when we come to Christmas, we cannot see the manger without seeing the cross. I want you to pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We celebrate Jesus in this Christmas season, on this Christmas Eve. Thank you that he came. Thank you for why he came. And thank you that that makes all the difference for ordinary, imperfect, sinful people like all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.